I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 18 this morning. In looking at this passage, I was reminded of a text in 1 John chapter 2, which says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We have a problem these days of the world wanting to squeeze us into its mold, as J.B. Phillips paraphrases Romans chapter 12. And today, that happens with a fancy phrase, and you may have heard of it before, the problem of deconstruction. How many of you have ever heard of that, the deconstruction of our faith? This is in which the, the, the process by which a person who perhaps has grown up in the church or around the gospel, perhaps has even embraced it and has walked in some fashion in fellowship with believers, decides that they no longer are going to be a Christian and rather they deconstruct their, their faith. There's a challenge of that going on these days. There's the challenge of holding on to the faith. And there is the challenge of passing our faith along to our children and grandchildren. Uh, we experience the way in which the world has increasingly become an enemy of the gospel. In fact, the world in many cases sees Christianity as the enemy of progress and therefore is trying to say that if we just got rid of biblical Christianity, all of our problems would be over and solved. Um, in the midst of that, you know, I, my wife and I uh, last evening did something we haven't done in a long time. We watched the evening news. Literally every story had some element that was against Christ and the gospel. Every element had an angle to it that was saying that what the Bible says about reality and about life is false. And I think about that in terms of the fact that I get about 40 minutes a week with you all to share God's word or whoever's up here explaining God's word. 40 minutes in a week. And we are all being bombarded by social media, by the things that we take in, by the friends and relationships we have, by the schools that we're attending, by literally everything all around us pushing against biblical Christianity versus 40 minutes a week where together we as the family of God gather around the text of Scripture and look into what it has to say. This is why we must pray that the Holy Spirit will attend His Word. This is the issue 
that Paul is going to talk with Timothy about here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. He's calling on young Timothy, who is a pastor, a pastor at Ephesus. He's calling on him to hold on to the truth of the gospel, not to deconstruct it. You might say, well, why, why would he do that? Of course, he's a pastor. Oh, dear friends, among the people that are deconstructing their faith today, some of the foremost among them are people who are pastors and leaders in churches. And so Timothy, Paul's words to Timothy here are of special relevance to us. Would you stand for the reading of God's word this morning? 2 Timothy 1, verses 13 through 18. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Please have a seat. Up to this point in 2 Timothy, we saw Paul urge Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God for the sake of the gospel. Fan your gift because of the character of God. Fan your gift because of God's work in the past. Fan your gift because God has empowered you to do so. And then we looked at being bold for the gospel in verses 8 through 12. Be bold even if it means suffering. Be bold because of what God has done for us. Be bold in view of what we already know. And now here in these verses, Paul is going to say, follow the pattern given to you, guard the deposit of the gospel by means of the Holy Spirit, and take note of the negative and positive examples around you. So let's look at verse 13, follow the pattern given to you. It says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Sound words here, the word sound means healthy. Words that bring life. This word sound is used to describe how Jesus healed people. He made them sound, healthy. Here, Paul's using the expression to show that words indeed can bring healing. The question is, what words bring healing? The prosperity teachers would tell you that it's positive pronouncements. Just name it and claim it. But that's not what Paul has in mind. Instead, what he's saying is that the heralding of the gospel brings soundness to our souls, healing from sin. All we have to do is look up to verses 10 and 11 to gain the context. Paul says, 
the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, and then he talks about the gospel, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus died and rose again. This is the gospel, and he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. Paul is saying here that he is above all things a preacher, an apostle, a teacher of words that bring health, sound words. What are those words? The words about Jesus, his death and his burial and his resurrection and how he abolished death for us and brought us life. So follow the pattern of the sound words given to you. Now, it's not only the plan of salvation that Paul has in mind here, although of course he does have that in mind. He makes it clear here that there are lots of issues beyond the plan of salvation that bring health to our souls. And that's why Paul is committed to proclaiming the whole counsel of God. We started our service with that verse in to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, I did not fail to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. Paul's instruction to follow the pattern of sound words means that Timothy is to take the general outline of all of Paul's teaching and to flesh it out for the saints that he is pastoring at Ephesus. Like all sound preachers, Timothy is to take the truth of the gospel and expound it and apply it to his local situation. And this is why we do what we do here at East White Oak. Why we, on a typical Sunday, will go through a portion of scripture and expound it, explain it, line by line, explaining it and then applying it to our lives because it is through that that is the best way that we can hang on to those words that bring life, words that bring health to us. Now, it's not enough simply to do the task as though it's just checking off a to-do list. Well, we did a sermon and it was accurate to the text or I listened to a sermon and it was accurate to the text. It's not enough just to check it off as a to-do list. No, Paul uses two expressions here to describe how Timothy is to follow this pattern. The first one is, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This means a genuineness of truly believing what he is proclaiming. I fear that these days there are many people who are proclaimers of the gospel and you sometimes wonder, do they really believe what they're saying? They're not really in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. A genuineness of truly believing what you're proclaiming. And then secondly, Follow the pattern of the sound words you've heard from me in the love that is in Christ Jesus. A sacrificial love for those whom you serve. And so it is in relational context that we gather together, right? 
that it's not just some distant uh, checking off of a box saying, well, I've been accurate to the scripture and I walk away, but that we actually all do life together. See, one of the biggest ways in which you can see someone begin the deconstruction of their faith is when they distance themselves from the community of believers. You know, they may say, oh, I haven't walked away from, from the gospel. I haven't walked away from Jesus. But I really don't like the church. I'm not getting along with people. They're not getting along with me. Or I don't like this or that. Or, and there's a thousand things, is there not, to criticize, right? Because we're just folks here. <laughs> but notice that if we are going to follow the pattern of the sound words of the gospel, it has to be in the love that is in Christ Jesus, this sacrificial commitment that we have first to Christ and then to each other. It's not just some distant thing where there's some talking head up here just spouting off things that sound a little bit like a Charlie Brown cartoon, right? You know, But that it's really in a context of our caring and loving one another. Not enough just to do it as a task. Now, God's gospel deserves our best effort at modeling it, doesn't it? To be able to put it on display before one another. You see, many people today believe that Christianity is an outdated thing. These folks sincerely believe that the gospel needs to be rescued from the Bible and recast, reimagined in new terms. They think, for example, that the Bible is anti-woman, misogynistic. It's anti-equality. It's racist. It's anti-sexuality against people being able to have their sex without consequence. And so, the first effort of these people is to try to reinvent the gospel so that it looks more progressive, more palatable to modern sensibilities. Friends, that's a fool's errand because the heresies of modernity will always expand. The heresies of modernity are ever expanding. What is abhorrent today, and there's probably something we could agree on that everybody in the world would go, well, that's wrong. Tomorrow is going to be the rights that someone is being denied, okay? Just know that, that if you say, okay, well, we'll finally accept this world. You want us to accept, okay, we'll accept this. Is that going to be enough? It will not be enough because tomorrow there will be more ways in which we are to compromise the clear teaching of Scripture. The end of these people is always the complete abandonment of the Bible and the gospel altogether. Famous pastors are good examples of this failed and wrong approach. Paul is admonishing Timothy to a different approach. Namely, don't change, don't recast, don't reinvent the gospel. Rather, preserve it intact. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. Paul says, 
Now, this does not mean that we never change our minds because we can be wrong. We're fallible. But we must never recast the Bible or the Christian faith into, and message into something different than it is. Follow the pattern of the sound words given to you in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now let's look at verse 14. Guard the deposit of the gospel by means of the Holy Spirit. Paul had given Timothy this instruction before. Just look across the page at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. The gospel is a deposit given to every generation of believers. It's a, it's a treasure deposited to believers, and the deposit must be guarded or it can be lost. I want you to think for a moment about Ephesus today in modern Turkey. There are almost no believers in Jesus in modern Ephesus. In fact, nearly everywhere that Christianity has gone, there are places where it has been lost and has largely not recovered. North Africa was the hotbed of Christianity in the first four centuries AD. Today, it is very hard to find even one believer, one true believer in Jesus in many parts of North Africa. Europe was a hotbed of Christianity in the Middle Ages. That was a time when the gospel itself was exchanged for a message of works salvation. And the gospel deposit was lost. Thankfully, in many places in Europe, recovered through the Reformation. But today, even in those areas that were affected and impacted by the Reformation, the Christian faith in Europe is regarded by most people as a quaint relic of the past, irrelevant for our times, or worse, a disease that is the biggest reason for the troubles that the world has, be they economic, environmental, social, or governmental. As we look at the disappearance of Christianity in those regions, May I tell you, the answer is not to change Christianity into something more palatable to the modern mind. The answer is to recover and to guard the true gospel. To guard the gospel, then, means to keep it unchanged, but also to communicate the real gospel and not some distortion of it. Notice here in verse 14 that the gospel is described as a good deposit. The gospel is not evil. It's not the imposition of one culture upon another. 
Rather, it is a rich treasure that must be guarded vigilantly so that it's not lost or changed or damaged. You see, these dangers of deconstruction are before us, not just in our own generation, but they've been there in every generation. Well, how can we do this? How can we possibly sustain the richness of the gospel against all its enemies? The answer is found there in verse 14, the first phrase. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit within us that the gospel can be preserved. It's interesting how Paul describes this, isn't it? Guarding the good deposit is a command that Paul gives Timothy to obey, but it can only be obeyed by means of the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So it's a command, but the only means by which we can obey the command is the Holy Spirit's indwelling. Now this means several things. First, it means we must embrace what the Bible says about itself that the Holy Spirit was bearing the human writers along as they wrote so that what was written were not merely human words, but the very words of God. So the power of the Holy Spirit in presenting, giving, and preserving the Scriptures. We must admit also the temptations to water down God's word. Because there are times where I feel like I see pastors almost apologetic for what the scriptures teach. In fact, they are apologetic. They want to avoid certain texts because they don't want to address them full on. That's why I appreciated Wynn's message a couple of weeks ago on the wrath of God, right? You need to be able to address this straight on, not ignoring or pretending that somehow we can just avoid some passage of Scripture or other. We must remember that we cannot do this on our own. If we're going to avoid that deconstruction, we're not going to be islands. We've got to learn what it means to walk in life together and that we need the Holy Spirit's help. And then we need to learn also to do this by the Holy Spirit, it means that God has sent His Spirit to indwell us, and that's what enables us to obey. Look back at verse 12 for a second. You see, Paul says, I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. He's able to guard it. And now he says in verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, we can guard it too. Notice that in both cases, it's God who does the empowering. This close communion with the Holy Spirit around the Word of God is what is so needful for us. The fellowship that we have with one another, do not regard that as a trifle. Do not regard our gathering Sunday by Sunday around the Word of God as just a ritual. It is a treasure that we guard. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
we hold on to. So, guard the deposit of the gospel by means of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, take note of negative and positive examples around you. Verses 15 to 18. The negative example is in verse 15 of these two guys, Phygelus and Hermogenes. Uh, these two fellows are known only here in the Bible. That's the only place we know of them. And so we don't know anything more about it than what this verse says. Uh, Paul says in verse 15 that everybody turned away from him in Asia. Under his arrest, the second arrest in Rome, where there's increasing persecution against Christianity. Christianity is being regarded as the problem that's facing the empire. If we just got rid of the Christians, we'd be fine as an empire. It was a political movement against Christianity. And Paul says, everybody turned away from me in my arrest and persecution, everybody in Asia. This probably, this word all, probably means all who were in a position to help Paul. They had abandoned him. But particularly, these two guys, Phygelus and Hermogenes. Paul, Paul had spent two and a half years at Ephesus teaching them the word of God. And now in his hour of need, those who had the capacity to help him in this time of persecution um, have abandoned Paul. Phygelus and Hermogenes likely were the ringleaders supporting the abandonment of Paul. That is, these two guys were saying to all the others in the community, hey, you know, let's not tie our uh, raft to Paul here because he's getting nailed for being a Christian and if we just kind of distance ourselves from him, we might escape some of the heaviest part of the persecution. You get that? You see, that's the, the strategy of those who persecute Christians. They try to isolate them, cause everybody else to be fearful of standing up for them and then by isolating them, they get to pick them off one by one. That's the strategy for centuries of how to deal with Christians. The political climate against Christianity was increasing dramatically, and so these two led the abandonment of Paul. So that's the negative example. In verses 16 and 17, we have a positive example. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. It seems that this Onesiphorus, who's from Ephesus, was in Rome and bravely attending to Paul's needs. He searched for Paul throughout the Roman bureaucratic prison system and found him and brought him meals and blessing because the word refreshed has the idea of the tangible thing of bringing meals. Paul's prayer is that his home, his household would receive God's blessing for what Onesiphorus did for Paul. Not only that, but he prays for blessing for Onesiphorus himself in verse 18. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you well know all the service he rendered to me at Ephesus. He had helped me back then, and now here he is helping me now. Um, it appears that Onesiphorus had gone to Rome to help Paul, and he hadn't arrived back home from his travels 
to Rome to help Paul. He's on his way back to Ephesus. And so Paul is praying that during this time of separation of Onesiphorus from his household, that the household is blessed and also that Onesiphorus himself is blessed. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 19 of 2 Timothy gives this impression also where it says, greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Namely, that the household is remaining there at Ephesus with Timothy while Onesiphorus has gone on his way to help Paul at Rome and now is on his way back. Notice he prays for mercy. Mercy for the households of God's servants who risk their lives and reputations for the gospel. Those households are particularly vulnerable. For the Roman bureaucracy to identify this Onesiphorus as trying to help one of their prisoners, it could easily get back to Ephesus and that household could get nailed for what dad, husband, was doing. And Paul's prayer is also for the servant Onesiphorus himself. May the Lord grant him mercy from the Lord on that day. What, that, what is that day? It seems to me that he's talking about an eschatological day, a day of the Lord, the day in which is all of the events of the end times. That's what's described in chapter 1, verse 12. I'm convinced he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me, that day of the Lord, that day of the end times all occurring. And here he's saying, may the Lord grant us a forest, mercy from the Lord on that day, the day in which all of the end times things take place. Paul felt keenly the reality that judgment was coming. Are we more afraid of human rulers or are we more afraid of turning away from the Lord before whom we will all one day appear? Onesiphorus had been consistent in his ministry, whether at home or abroad, he bravely took the side of Christ and his servants and the gospel. And so, guard the deposit of the gospel. Follow the pattern given to you of sound words. Guard the deposit by means of the Holy Spirit and take note of the negative and the positive examples around you. What are some ways that we can apply a text like this in our own generation, our own world? Let me give you a couple. First, every believer should develop very clearly their testimony. And by testimony, I mean a description that can be given in two or three minutes that describes three things. First, what your life was like before you became a Christian, before you trusted Jesus. Second, exactly how it was that you came to trust Christ. And third, what your life is like now that you are a follower, a believer in Jesus. Now let me give you a couple of things by way of, uh, of description of how to do that. First, it should be written down so that you get it down in your mind. And that way, when someone, you're engaged in a conversation with someone, you could ask them, could I tell you my faith story? 
and you can give them a two-minute description of what your life was like apart from Christ, how it was that you came to follow Jesus, and what your life is like now that you follow Jesus. A couple other things. Avoid religious jargon. If you say, well, when I was washed in the blood of the Lamb by the power of the Holy Ghost, a person you have to understand the person in this world doesn't understand that language. So if you're going to use that language, you'll need to be able to explain it, okay? Let me give you one example of that. Um, some of you might watch the, the, the game show Jeopardy. Have you ever noticed that when the, the category is the Bible, you hear a lot of, nobody knows the answer, okay? The reason is because we as a culture have lost our understanding of the Bible. It's just, it's just lost on us, right? So to use language that nobody knows or understands is difficult. So make sure you're explaining things in a language that people understand, or if you use words that people don't understand, that you explain them as you, do, as you go. Another, another little uh, tidbit for you. Don't spend a long time on what your life is before you trusted Christ. You don't need to go into long detail about all your big long list of hairy sins. Just describe, I was awful, right? And some of us have become Christians when we were little. Don't spend a lot of time about how evil you were as a four-year-old. Instead say, you know, I recognized that I was broken. I was ruined and I could not please God. And then spend most of your time explaining what it was that brought about your faith in Christ. And you may not have a specific event that happened when you trusted Christ. You might say, you know, I don't even remember the date or the moment when I did this. I just know that now I have asked Jesus to forgive me of, his, of my sins by what he did at the cross. And he did. He forgave me of my sins. And then thirdly, describe a little bit of what your life is like now that you're a believer. Not saying, man, now I have my complete act together and I'm healthy and wealthy and wise. No, no, no. Describe, I continue to struggle in this life because guess what? I continue to sin, and I, but I have someone I can go to and I have a family that takes care of me called the church that cares. You see, when we can give a clear testimony for Christ, it's the way in which we can follow the pattern of the sound words that we have heard here that Paul says he's given to Timothy. Just have your testimony down. And when you have an opportunity, say, would it be okay if I share with you my spiritual journey? I'll just take two minutes to describe it. Second application, the winds of culture are shifting decidedly against Christ and the gospel. You probably can feel that, right? Question, how will you bless your fellow brothers and sisters whom you know when it comes that they are persecuted? You see, it's fine for us to say, oh yeah, we'll all hang together. But when one brother or sister loses their job because they are committed to Christ, what will be the response of the church 
and of each of us as brothers and sisters to support and sustain that. We might go, well, yeah, be, be warm and be fed. Because I anticipate that there will come moments in the not too distant future where we will face those exact kinds of issues. And it's prudent for us to think about how we might be a blessing to our fellow brothers and sisters when the time comes that they face persecution. Otherwise, we just get picked off one by one, right? That's, that's how it'll be. Third application, while the gospel, you know, they might say, man, what a downer of a message. While the gospel light may grow dim in some parts of the world, since it is God's gospel, God's good news to this world, it will never disappear. There are people coming to Jesus in Ephesus. There are people coming to Jesus in North Africa. There are people coming to Jesus in Europe. And did you know more people are coming to Christ right now than at any time in church history? Now, that's all happening in the continent of Africa and in South America. There's other, and in Asia, there's places where the gospel is really thriving. Let's thank the Lord for that. And even as we see areas where the gospel light is dimming, maybe even in our own nation, let us do what we were taught as children, right? This little light of mine, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. Shine it all over our neighborhood. I'm going to let it shine. Heavenly Father, Help us by means of the Holy Spirit to guard the good deposit entrusted to us. I pray that those here who have never put their faith in Christ would do that just right now. Would you help them to see that this is real life? that there's real hope, that there's real forgiveness for sin, there's real eternal life for the person who admits their sin, trusts what Jesus did at the cross, believes he rose from the dead, and that they would, give, they would have life in his name through nothing they do, but through what Jesus has done for them. Help them to faith, Lord. And for that one here today who's on the edge of deconstructing their faith, thinking, well, I'm not sure I'm really into this at all, Oh God, would you bring to light to them that this is true, that it's joyous truth, Jesus, the gospel, the scriptures. For your glory we pray it, amen.